New Frogger 2 3 Deep Video and Home Computer Game Beyond the Pond! Just when you thought it was safe to go back in the pond, here comes the new Frogger 2 3 Deep! You'll need eyes in the back of your head and on either side too as you find yourself hopping in and out of three new dangerous and different worlds that go far beyond the pond of the original Frogger! You'll have to think ahead to survive underwater, on the surface, and in the sky. You've got to be quick to evade deadly sneaky eels and fight strong currents underwater. And just when you think you've avoided the hippo shake on the surface, you have to watch out for a persistent killer shark or you're gone! And if you don't bounce high enough in the sky, a flying dragon named Clyde will zap you. Are you up for the challenge? Find out, new Frogger 2 3 Deep. Get hopping on it! Treachery underwater. Villainy on the surface! Evil hijinks in the sky. Available for Atari Home Computers 2600, 5200, Colicavision, and Commodore 64 systems. Parker Brothers! Welcome, dear listeners, to our podcast, Jeff and Rick present Unpacking the Power of Power Pack. Where we journey through each issue of the most underrated Marvel series of the 80s while drinking beer. Analyzing awesome and amazing adolescent adventures and absorbing alcohol. I'm Jeff. And I am Rick. You know, since episode two, we've been doing these silly advertisement cold openers and I feel like we should explain it. Oh, I can explain it. Okay. It's fluff. It's filler. It's flim flammery. I was going to explain it by just saying... Hey, you know, since episode two, we've been doing these silly advertisement coal openers, and that's my explanation for it. That's a great explanation. Basically, it uh, it saves us from trying to come up with some sort of witty opening. Also, it really kind of paints uh, the era of when the comic was. You get to see where we were back then for advertisement. You're like, whoa, Atari 2600. These ads spoke to us as children's. Yeah. It sang to our inner child and said, Hey kids, go and talk to your parents about buying this stuff. Incessantly. Bye, bye, bye. Mom, Dad, can I have a ColecoVision? Sure, as soon as you go ahead and mow the lawn. But I want to play Frogger 3D. Mow the lawn, Jeffrey. 3D. Mow the lawn, Jeffrey. Frogger. Mow the lawn, Jeffrey. Yeah, so we do it just because it's kind of fun. Um, I, I should point out, too, that uh, we are doing something we have never done before. We are doing back-to-back recordings. I don't even know if we should mention that. Yeah, I like it. Okay. We I've, are, though. We, I've, I've heard other podcasts do it. I am, I am pulling back the curtain saying that when you plug this podcast into your ear, little earbuds, you are not just hearing us all of a sudden speaking to you live. That doesn't happen. No, because it's a podcast, so right. it's all re-recorded. It's all pre-recorded. And when do we do this? When we have time. Yep, and this time we have time. I am feeling my hops, my friend. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. This is how you sow your wild hops? Yes, this is how I sow my wild hops. Okay. I, I go to your house and I drink beer and record a silly podcast about comic books. Yeah, it's very important work. It's very important work. Uh, what, uh, <laughs> this is funny. My mom was actually asking me. She was, I'm like, oh, yeah, we're doing this and this. And she's like, oh, what's it about? I'm like, oh, very, very important information. It's about a comic from the 80s. <laughs> and we drink beer and talk. So, you know, we're doing the good work. I've mentioned that I'm doing this to a few other people, and they're going, oh, really, what are you doing on comic books? The look of uninterest in their eyes (laughs) is just like, oh, that's nice. (laughs) So, Jeff. Yeah, Rick. Can you please give us the two-sentence replay 
of the last episode. I can and will. Oh, I hope I didn't use up my two sentences with that. Oh, I hope I didn't use up my two sentences with that. Oh, I hope that... No, okay, I'll just do it for real. You owe me two bucks. Katie finally loses her tooth. And there was much rejoicing. Yay! And then some other less important stuff happens as well. Like, they rescue their parents, they escape the snarks, and they meet another chameleon who blesses their appropriation of powers and smart ships, and is now their grandfather. I think you did that very well. (laughs) (laughs) The important thing to remember here is Katie lost her tooth. We've truncated probably our, our favorite issue so succinctly (laughs) it's fantastic there was so much that happened happened and you've given me two sentences two sentences i gave myself two sentences yeah it's just katie lost a tooth Uh, it's a big plot point because it's it's been dragging on for two three issues episodes now something like that yeah okay now that i've kind of given us the non-truncated two sentence uh, replay of last issue how about you give me a beer and tell us what her power pack pick is i would be happy to give you a beer excellent now you know, those are the best words that anyone could ever say to anybody. <laughs> I mean, they're, they're, there's equally good words, but that's a good word. That's a good word. I feel like I should prep the audience before I hand it to you, but I, I really don't know how. I'm just going to go ahead and say that this, my friend, is Double Rainbow from Iron Horse Brewery. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. Do they clone Julie? Is it <laughs> Double Rainbow? Nope. There is no cloning of Julie. It's just the fact that I was looking for something. The issue is called Homecoming. Yep. And it ends up being a Julie-centric story by the end of it. Mm-hmm. So that in mind, I decided that a double rainbow was appropriate for this. Man, the art on this is just amazing. It's a, it's a keg... <laughs> It's a winged unicorn keg, and it's just got words all over. It's being ridden by a cowboy, a skull-headed cowboy. It says Double Rainbow Red IPA. It's got skulls all over it in rainbow colors. Across the top, it repetitively says you're welcome. And let's see. Oh, <laughs> let, let me let me let me read to you something I pulled off the website. Mm-hmm. It is like having two pots of gold in your mouth at the same time. Ooh, that's. <laughs> I don't know if that's good or bad. <laughs> this beer is built upon a solid malt foundation of medium crystal biscuit and Vienna for a considerable dose of toffee, bread, and nutty flavors and aroma. We then laced hops into the first wort runoff, and hops continued to be added through the boil, after boil, and then dry hopped with the Hawk Rocket, creating both a red IPA and a hoppy red ale, 7.0 ABV, 70 IBU. In a can. Very nice. <laughs> it, it, it also has story time on it. Not a rumor. Pythagoras completely made that stuff up. This is a kegasis. If you are lucky, you will see it in your dreams. Uh, rainbow one. Rainbow two. WTF does double rainbow mean? We're not sure, but we think it means oral euphoria delivered in the best ingestibles known to man. PNW hops and specialty malts. Does a double rainbow deliver two pots of gold? This one does. In your mouth. Mm, wow, like Iron Horse Brewery. Okay, let's... Oh, hey, that is a red. Yeah. Oh, that's... Wow, that that's is a, a really brown dark red. Dark red. Yeah, that's... Hello, you mahogany beauty. I can't describe that. I think the solid malt foundation, toffee, bread, nutty flavors, I am getting all of that. For those of you in the Pacific Northwest, Iron Horse Brewery, double rainbow. Look it up. Yeah, that's... <laughs> that's a not... That is a fun little beer. I wanted to mention this too. Style, Indian Red Ale, Red IPA. ABV 7.0, IBU 70, Malt, Crystal, Cara, Vienna, Hops, Simcone, Amarillo, Other, Leprechaun. Oh, not <laughs> Leprechaun Hops, just Leprechaun? Other, Leprechaun. Okay, just, uh... Other, 
Leprechaun. Uh, it's right there. Yeah. Right there. Juice yourself up a leprechaun. And now the opening credits, if you please. <laughs> Power Pack, issue number five, December 1984. Homecoming. Story by Louis Simonson. Breakdowns by Mary Wilshire. Finishes by Bob Wycheck. Letters by Joe Rosen. Colored by Glennis Ween. Edited by Carl Potts. Editor-in-chief, Jim Shooter. We got a little something different there. Mary Wilshire on the uh, breakdown? Yeah, uh, it is a different artist. I'm going to be completely honest. The first time through, and until Jeff pointed it out to me, I didn't notice. It jumped out to me immediately. It was very much just like, whoa, why does everybody look different? The, the kids look similar. You know who they are, but they don't look the same. It's it's like they aged a couple of years <clears throat> each, for one thing. So it's you know it's kind of like it's a different artist. The kids look a little different. Uh, a big thing is Katie's missing tooth is on the wrong side. <laughs> Before That's she, funny. Yeah, she, before she missed, she uh, pulled out the uh, front left incisor, and in this entire issue, she's missing her front right incisor, and it, I, it just pulled me out of the issue. It's kind of interesting. Uh, the cover is still done by Brigman. Yeah, it looks good. It's a that's a that's a very action packed. cover. Yeah, that is a super action packed cover. Uh, what's funny on this is that uh, Alex <clears throat> and Katie are hanging off of a precipice on a cliff, and they're about to just fall to their death. Except that you know Alex can make them zero G, so it's really not that life threatening. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we have Carmody that's shooting a gun at Al- at uh, Jack, Jack and Julie. Of course, the gun is going through Jack, and Julie is evading it, but. She travels fast. She travels fast. Now, here's the thing about different artists in comics that always... Here's what kills me when they change artists. Uh, I was talking to... I believe his name is Derek Roberts. He did The Boys. And he's he's co-creator of The Boys. He was the artist in that. He's done a lot of stuff. Great artist. I got to meet him. He was a really nice guy. I met his family. I was asking about him in the run of The Boys why it became different artists that were doing it instead of just him. And he was talking about how they wanted the comic to come out on time. They didn't care if it was uh, the same artist. And he said then that really kind help kill the the comic because people love having the same artist do the art because you get a connection with it you go that art is this comic and that's what i'm expecting and what i want and if it's not there you it really pulls you away from it and it did in that series it's like i love the boys it was great but every time there was a different artist it just i'm like ah little huey doesn't look right butcher doesn't look right None of these people look right. I can understand. I I guess for me, it wasn't so different that it pulled me out. Okay. And I I think they did. I think that Mary Wilshire does a pretty good job aping June Brigman's style. Oh, she did a fine job. Everything everything looks great. If it wasn't me being used to the previous style and just kind of going, this run has these people on it, and this is what it looks like. uh, I would have been fine with it, but it just kind of jumped out at me and was glaring. That being said. Power Pack is heading back to Earth, with their parents still mummified and unconscious. Julie is very nervous that their mom and dad won't love them anymore after they find out they have powers. There's a lot of Julie worrying in this issue. She believes that the Stark's mind probe might have basomatic their parents' minds. Because Super Basomatic 76 is a tool that lets you use the bass with no fish waste and without scaling, cutting, or gutting. But they just don't know yet. They have waited to unwrap their Christmas parents until they land. Speaking of which, they get a good look at the wreck their house is now. Even the car is destroyed after Alex Donkey Kong did at the Snark ship in issue 3. But they are home, which does make them somewhat happy. As Alex moves their parents out of the good ship Friday, they have some real deep conversations about whether they should tell their parents or not. What's interesting to me is that I forgot it was Julie who originally argued against telling their parents. Really, of the four, she's always come across as a straight shooter, the truthful and honest one. But, for some reason, she's very hesitant. Alex and Julie really argue about this. Alex looking at some of the practical scientific reasons. 
dad will think it's interesting. While Julie takes the emotional, they will look at us differently. In the end, Alex agrees that for now, they will not tell their parents. So they cut them out of their wrappings, clean up the remains while their parents start to recover, and hooray! It is their parents! They picked up the correct bundles from the Snark Ship Claw Game! <laughs> As they change out of their costumes, Friday lets them know about a cool feature. The costumes will appear and disappear at a command, which is kinda awesome. It's one less thing that the writers and the kids need to deal with. I mean, no one wants to see kids changing in a phone booth. Creepy. You know, they actually do show them that when Fridays, they're changing into their clothes and Friday tells them, it's like, okay, hey, anytime you want your costumes to come back, just say that you want them back and they will. And if you want them to go away, they will. So it's kind of like, okay, does that, I guess it displaces the clothes they're wearing as well. You know what? We are not even going to get into that because way down the line in this comic book they do. For now, let's just all put our hands in the air, wave them around in front of somebody's face and say, comic science. I am completely <laughs> distracted. <laughs> so the last thing they have to do is they've got to get rid of Friday. Big white ship, big alien ship, awkward conversations. They've decided to make it look like the aliens just left them on the beach. Julie takes care of this by snapping at Friday to take a hike. Katie is not pleased. Why did you have to act so bossy? That was a mean way to talk to Friday. I bet she'll never come back now and it'll be all your fault. The parents wake up and they seem to be okay. They recognize the kids and where they are, but they are totes confused. Ring, bring, bring. The sound of that telephone ringing causes them all to rush back into the disaster zone that was their house. Think of the movie The Money Pit about halfway through, mm -hmm. without Tom Hanks and the comedic pratfalls, but still with Shelley Long. Yeah. So, you know, it's pretty bad. As they survey the damage, Alex mentions the converter to his father, preceded by a... <sighs> Say it, Rick. Say it. G. <laughs> Take a drink. Dr. Powers gets woozy and leans against the damaged porch banister. Quack. Alex jumps forward and pulls him to safety using his... G. Powers. Powers. I don't think he says it. He no, he doesn't. He it. just uses them, so... You can, you can drink to try and wash the thought from your brain, but... Done uh, and done. Yeah, but it's not an official count. It's not an official count. <laughs> Don't count that. Anyway, he uses his G-powers to make him momentarily weightless so that Alex can pull him back. Julie gives Alex an evil eye. Flaunting your powers in front of Dad is not secret. But Dr. Powers did not seem to notice that his son is pretty strong now. So it looks like the Snarks did damage Dr. Powers' brain after all. He can't think about the converter anymore, and he doesn't notice that his kids have superpowers. But it's convenient for the plot. Inside, Mrs. Powers is on the phone with her agent, who informs her that she is four days late on a painting. They have lost four days. The family looks around at their trashed house, and they try to figure out what is next. Hey, did you notice that the table is flipped over, and so is their one chair? Yeah, Jim is standing over it in the next panel like, This table was my kingdom, and this chair was my throne. What have you done? <laughs> Poor chair. You were the only one they had. <laughs> Meanwhile, Mr. Evil Underpants Carmody is yelling at a guy with a red high and tight and some seriously mirrored shades. This is Henry Gyrich. Henry Gyrich, longtime protagonist of the Avengers and the X-Men, kind of represents evil government bureaucracy gone amok, restricting the activities of superheroes and the like. During this time in comic books, he was on the National Security Council and was in charge of Project White Awake, a task force designed to deal with the problems of the growing number of mutants. This project was a bad seed from the start. The best way to think of Guy Rich is to compare him to Templeton Peck from the original Ghostbusters, except not as Weasley. Carmody is trying to explain that his 
$1.5 million converter was destroyed by four mutants. Gyrich is skeptical. He thinks the kids described by Carmody are too young to be mutants. But Carmody hits the desk and demands a mutant tracker. Gyrich relents because he is the worst. Carmody did bang on his desk enthusiastically. Touché, touché. The scene ends with Gyrich throwing shade at Carmody by saying that he wanted to weaponize Dr. Power's converter. Carmody shades right back saying that rumor has it that Gyrich wants to weaponize mutants and that the Power Kids would be ideal for this. Man, is there anything of Dr. Powers that Carmody won't weaponize? I like the deviled eggs that you brought to the potluck, but I think that we should weaponize them. You left your lunch out in the break room, so I weaponized it. The picture of your family on your desk was nice, but it wasn't murdery enough, so I weaponized it. Yeah, he weaponizes a lot of things, but you know what he can't weaponize? What? Bacon. It's too tasty. Mmm, bacon. Back with the Power family. They head into town, thanks to a ride from the town taxi. I know they call him Mr. Finch, but I'm thinking about him as Reverend Jim from Taxi. No, that'd be great. I would love Christopher Lloyd to be in this. They run some errands, including checking out Julie's arms at the doctor's office. Remember back in issue three, Julie slammed hard into a wall and thought she broke it? Well, the doctor takes a look and is amazed. Julie had been in a week ago for a school checkup and didn't have a broken arm. The x-ray shows that the arm looks to be almost healed, like it was broken a month ago? Hmm, it just might be that that chameleon superbug keeps on a-gimmin'. That, or he isn't a very good doctor. Time will tell, my friend. Time will tell. Next, they head into a, air quote, McBurgers. <laughs> no copyright infringement here, officer. Just keep on walking down the street to McDowell's. They are the real culprits. McBurgers. Hey, let's make up their mascots. I'll go first. There's Ron, the happy painted man. Ooh, ooh, ooh. The burger robber. Oh, I like that. Oh, oh, but you know who, who my favorite one is? Ooh. The purple frown. Okay. Alrighty. <laughs> <laughs> Inside, Julie chides Alex for using his powers to balance his tray of food on one finger. Something that I probably would have done myself, actually. Alex brushes it off. He doesn't like secrets. Besides, he's practicing. The sibling argument is interrupted as the kids spot the corpulent criminal Carmody crossing the street with a couple of guys in suits. The two older kids grab the two younger ones amid flimsy excuses and drag them out of the restaurant through a back door. Both the power parents apparently were brain damaged by the snarks because they are fine with the kids taking off. Dude, if you had four kids, even a couple of minutes in a fast food restaurant would seem like heaven. I have one kid, and that seems nice. Yeah, uh, me too. Maybe the power parents aren't as brain damaged as we think. As Carmody waddles after the kids, the two suits stop at the door. The power parents finally realize that something is up, and one of the suits sends the other, called Link, after that jerk Carmody. It's nice to see that everyone finds this schmuck unpleasant. The kids, after heading out the back door of the restaurant, reach a dead end. But Katie blasts a hole in the fence. Shut! Wait, stop. Time out. We have some weird continuity here. What's that? Well, Katie says she still has energy stored from disintegrating the wrappers. Yeah, that her parents were in. Yeah, yeah, the the sleepy time tea wrappers. Sure. Uh, but, but she hasn't been glowing at all. She absorbs them, but she and she glows when she absorbs, but she okay. hasn't been glowing. Uh, you know, she hasn't been glowing at all. Until she fires a Powerball. Then she lights up like a sparkling Christmas tree. Because, okay, in the past, we have seen her hands glow if she disintegrated a small thing. But th this just seems off. I might have an explanation for this. She disintegrated the rain that's falling around them. Mm. Nope, nope. <sighs> um, we'll blame it on the, the, the new uh, artist. Anyway, the kids scroll through the mud. Splash, splash. And decide that they should change into more appropriate attire. And so, for the first time, we get a... Costumes, costumes on! on! Yes! I like how they wait until 
after they are muddy. Just like children. The kids turn on their powers and fly out to lookout point. The fat fiend finds he can't fit under the fence, but Link manages to get through. Carmody tells Link to follow the kids with a mutant detector and get a reading. Actually, he says, Here, Link, take the mutant detector and follow that rainbow. It's dangerous to go alone. Take this. I know, right? I want him to find the Triforce by the end of this issue. Uh, wrong Link. And I want to see Link try and capture the kids with the hookshot. Again, wrong Link. Back at the restaurant, the other suit, Falcone, has exploded. Do all these guys just, they all sound like they're just really bad Italian villains. Yeah, uh, well, Falcone is a mob boss yeah. in uh, D.C., and uh, Link is a man that terrorizes chickens in Hyrule. So, yeah, the worst of mob bosses. <laughs> the other suit, Falcone, has explained that Carmody is a maniac, and he just wants to ask questions. Falcone asks the powers to work with him to stop Carmody. Jim learns from Falcone that the converter has been destroyed by small glowing beings surrounded by mist and that Carmody is convinced it was the power kids. Power parents are willing to cooperate with the government after they find the children. Carmody is overhearing this around the corner. He's had enough of these bleeding heart hippies. He wants to kill the kids. And we get a very terrifying graphic of a heavy-jowled Carmody gripping a pistol and looking downright menacing. The kids have made it to Lookout Point, a very nice location. It is very New England-esque. The crashing sea surrounding an outcropping rock covered with grass and a lighthouse. And a sheer drop-off! And the worst fencing and signage I have ever seen. The rain is coming down hard, and Farrar's wind is whipping the leaves off a nearby deco tree. Again, the wrong link. You are not letting this go. Nope. Kids have decided to hide in a jack cloud under the drop-off. Link is standing at the edge, and he can hear voices below him, but he can't make out what they're saying. What are they saying? Well, they're talking about turning themselves in and revealing they have powers. They feel bad about destroying the converter, even though it's for a good reason. Julie is even worried that their parents will look at them like Carmody does, like they are monsters. This fear has really been driving Julie this issue, and it's affecting her actions. It's okay, because above them, Link is trying to burn a bush in a rainstorm in order to find a secret entrance so he can climb below. But it'll probably only lead to a really cheap marketplace. No, he isn't. But it is raining really hard now, which is why Link's glasses get splattered, causing him to not really see the end of the cliff, and with a... Squinch! He slips and drops his glasses and the Master Sword. No, Rick, it's the mutant detector. Which then lands in Katie's lap. Dunk! Link is hanging from a branch. The kids start to move up to save him, even if it means revealing their identities when... Snap! The branch breaks. Rockabye Link on the clifftop. When Veror blows, you will drop. If Ganon wins, then Zelda's lost. And down comes Link, wooden sword and all. That's, I gotta admit, that's cute. That's cute. <laughs> Luckily, Julie swings Alex and Katie down low, and they catch him, canceling his gravity, and Julie flies him back up. But before they can return to solid ground, there is a... Papoo! Wait, can you repeat that? Papoo! Okay. K, spell that. P, B, Y, Y, I, I, E, O, O, O. Okay, got it. What was that? Well, that was a gunshot. The Tubby Terror has turned up and is shooting his handgun at kids. Okay, he's shooting it at everybody, but I mostly care about the fact that he's shooting it at kids. Link yells at him to stop, but that doesn't really deter this jerkwad. Blam! The bullet flies right in front of Katie's eyes. That does it. No, stop it! Katie shoots off a powerball. Blam! The gunfire has now drawn the attention of the other adults in the story. 
But, like, no one else in town. And they run towards the noise. Julie, meanwhile, attacks Carmody, pushing his arm up into the air. The kids, knowing their parents are coming, whisper a costume's off. Just in time. You know, do we need a sound effect for that? Hmm. Maybe that could be the sound effect. What? No. Hmm. And you're mocking me using Link? I mock you about a lot of things. Touche. We'll talk about it later, because right now, Jim Power, Dr. Jim Power, Power Father of the Year, Power vaults over the knee-high chain fence, Power pulls Carmody around, and Power fists him in the face. Crack. This is very cathartic. I love Julie's line. She picks up the gun, hands it to Link, and says, Ick, here. Dr. Powers is pissed. He resigns on the spot. I was waiting for the Powers to sue this guy for like a bajillion dollars for child endangerment. Carmody is yelling that the kids are mutants, but Link jumps in to point out that Katie is holding the mutant detector, and it's not beeping. Link states that the only thing he saw was a group of kids save him from falling down a cliff and from a dangerous maniac with a gun. He does also give a wink to Katie as she hands him back his glasses and whispers that he really cannot see much without his glasses. He knows they have powers, but he also knows that they saved his life. I am willing to say that this is a classic guy, except that he probably does hunt mutants, which makes him a word we have decided not to say on this podcast. Plus, he does go around blowing up mountains and trampling into people's caves. Oh, Rick, for the last time, wrong link. The family returns home and are sitting around their table with six chairs. It only took their house getting destroyed for them to realize what they've been missing in their lives. Well, that, and they're missing four days. The parents are willing to let their missing memories continue to be missing, and they want to move on. Jim mentions a teaching position he was offered in New York City. New York City?! Yes, he's going to work at a prestigious salsa manufacturing company. He'll use his science to make it better. Get a rope. (laughs) That wouldn't matter because Katie would disintegrate the rope. Apparently a real cushy position since it came with a huge Upper West Side apartment. The whole family seems pretty excited about this new adventure. Alex is so excited about maybe seeing Spider-Man, he drops a G in his dinner. Take a drink. But Julie gets really upset by this and runs outside. I think it was because she is tired of Alex saying G all the time. It could be. Maggie follows her out to the beach and they have a talk. This has been too much for Julie. She wants everything to go back to normal. Her mother explains that everything changes. And no matter what the change is, she will still love Julie, even if she flew. This is a really touching scene, and I think it not only shows the relationship that Julie and her mom have, but it shows us a lot about Julie. Remember, her biggest character trait so far is that she's an avid reader. But this tells us a lot more. She's a young woman who has some real fears about what is happening to her. Her mom heads inside, but Julie stays outside for a while, changing into her costume. With a please, which I thought was cute. And calls for Friday. She feels bad for yelling at Friday earlier in the day. Friday comes flying down, landing on the beach. Julie apologizes to Friday, and Friday admits to Julie that she was afraid she wouldn't be needed anymore. Julie tells Friday that they do need her, but that they're moving to New York, and that she'll need to find a new place to hide, like space. Several mornings later, the kids are packing up a moving truck. Each kid uses their power while they talk about not using their power in public, and how they still have decided to keep their powers a secret from their family. They decide that they will need to wait for the right time. Like when their really smart parents eventually figure it out, or one of these children's get caught showing off. You mean like flying a box out of the house? Or turning your finger into a cloud while you're holding a string down for a knot. Or disintegrating the excess string on a box. Or tossing a really heavy box into a truck. Thunk. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, maybe eventually they will meet a real superhero to teach them all about their secret identities. How about next issue? Because according to the box on the last page, the world's most famous arachnid-themed wall crawler is showing up. 
Webster from He-Man? Uh, no. Spider-Girl? No. Spider-Woman? No. Scarlet Spider? No. Peter Porker the Spectacular Spider-Ham? Definitively no. Uh, Spider-Pig? No, no, it's Spider-Man. Ah, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Next issue, Secrets. I found it very interesting that it was Julie's idea that she keep it a secret. This entire story really is... It turns out to be a story about Julie maturing and changing. I think that there's a bit of a puberty kind of element to this episode. Um, yeah. How Julie is now becoming a young adult. She has powers. Yeah, her body's can... going through changes yes. like they all do. It... Hair's growing in new places. Rainbows are growing in even newer places. <laughs> yes, very much so. You can definitely read in that her getting superpowers is a metaphor for puberty. Mm. There's a straight line between the two thoughts. And of course, you know, there's a lot of serious emotions and feelings and physical changes that come with puberty. Add to the fact that she's got alien superpowers and spaceships now. Not to mention the fact that now we also find out she's going to a new place. She's going to get a new school, a new house, a new city, and the kids still have new powers. I can really see that for Julia, that this is just too much. If she can control one thing, she wants that relationship still with her parents, but now she's keeping secrets from them, too. Hmm. I don't know. What's your thoughts on that? No, that's, you make really good points on that. It wasn't, but it was a Julie yeah. issue. And it really did just ride on the fact that she's like, people have seen us as monsters. We have done some amazing and horrifying things. I want my parents to be able to relate to me. I want to be able to go to the comfort of my parents. I want to be able to have that security, that safety, yeah. that castle that parents provide. And uh, I could see her not wanting them to see her differently or as a monster or to be freaked out where it's just like, wait, you were abducted by aliens. Wait, you have superpowers. You fought off aliens. You can destroy a spaceship and erect our car. You mentioned the castle bit and... I really see, too, that this is a really tight-knit family that has not had to deal with any movement, any real disruption, disruptions no. in their lives. No, you can tell how tight they are. They have one chair. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> their house is destroyed. They're going to a new place. They have got so much changes. The rest of the kids are kind of rolling with it. It's easy to say Katie's really too young to really deal with this, or really mm -hmm. to see this as any problems. She's, yeah, well, just, kind of, she's just kind of malleable in, in dealing with it. Well, she's Jack, five. Is she even at school yet? She's going to be in kindergarten. Okay. Yeah. Going to be, not is. Nope, going to okay, be. Okay, so she hasn't, uh, I don't know if she's yeah. done any kind of like schooling probably or anything her, or preschool, her, but she's her probably. Her closest friends are, are the are kids. Her family, yeah. yeah. So it's kind of like, oh, okay, we're going somewhere. Yeah. What's the problem? Jack seems to be somebody who can just, he rolls with it too. He's like, oh, okay, big time with everything. I can just do anything. Yeah. I really thought that Alex would be the one that really is would push back against it. But if you think Alex is still looking at all this as a science experiment. Yeah, he really is. And he even he's like New York. Oh, my God. There's the the art museums and the history museum. And yeah. and uh, superheroes. I meet Spider-Man. Yeah. So, yeah. It's her decision to keep a secret. Is this a good choice or not? I don't know. But I think it kind of is an adult decision that she is the one making it. And yeah. it shows that she's really pushing into that maturity. Yeah. Question for you. Mm -hmm. Is Friday a boy or a girl? Hmm. Uh, we don't know. I think that uh, we've been referring to her as a he because uh, Friday, the literary reference that it was based off of was a he. I hate to break it to you, my friend, but... Uh... I changed a lot of the uh, pronouns this time into she. I noticed that too. It it blended through the uh, through the episode actually. At mm -hmm. the beginning, you started with he, and then it turned into she. I did notice those, and I was just like, all right, well, it doesn't matter because uh, spaceship and it's yeah. I don't know, it's whatever gender it, it assigns to itself. Sometime down the line, they do address this, and I think that if I remember correctly, and we'll pull out when it happens, but I think it's Katie the one who really pushes the fact that it's a she, okay. and of course it's a she. But I like the idea of the self-identifying. Friday never does. Okay. At, at the end, when she 
we'll just say she when uh she's talking to uh julie mm-hmm. uh she actually she in my opinion kind of has a, a feminine almost like grandmotherly voice because uh julie's like you know i'm sorry I, I ran you off i was just scared that my parents would see you and freak out and and friday says i was scared for your parents to wake up because i don't want you to not need me that's interesting. I, I I didn't see it in that light, but I can buy it completely. Mm-hmm. Thinking of the voice of the ship during saying those lines, I could also see it as being a very immature young man. Oh, okay. Maybe a, like a boy more around Jack's age saying, well, I was afraid too. Oh, oh, so oh yeah. I, I, I think oh, so there's some similarity okay. that you can see there, yeah. but it's the same kind of read I think you can mm-hmm. get on either one. I like the idea of self-identifying, but I just don't know if it ever happens in here. I'm not sure. Uh, yeah, it's now From what we've identified so far in five issues, uh, yeah. it's Friday the Smart Ship. Yeah. It is interesting though too that you know if we look at the context of where the name came from, Whitey named him after Friday, which is a male character in the book. But that means nothing. Mm-hmm. It's just a name. Yeah, well, the, my girl Friday. Yes. You know, so speaking of Julie cuz this is a Julie centric episode, Julie's arm healed pretty darn quickly. Yeah, yeah, it did. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Uh, and that could be uh because of uh, space powers. Or uh, unstable molecule costume. Reaching back in my mind, I know there are places few further down the line that they talk about this, and I know that it comes from the alien powers, but I can't cite it yet. No, but it's still it's it's kind of cool how they pepper this into this book. That hey, that's weird. Her arm healed really fast, mm-hmm. and the kids are kind of hmm, curious, but they don't really explore it themselves that much, yeah. which is kind of cool because I mean, for me, I especially at my age, I'd be like. Hey, I healed fast. I want to explore this because, yay! Yeah, because everything on me is broken and hurts. Yeah. But kids, you, you got kids who's got that mindset of, I'm invincible anyways. Yeah. I can I can fall down a set of steps and I can bounce three times, brush myself off, put a band-aid on, and I'm all good. Yeah. There's also the aspect that uh, superheroes need to heal fast. Because otherwise it would be like, oh, I stopped a bank robbery. And then I went to the hospital. And then I was in recovery for six months. And then physical therapy. And now I can get back out on the street to fight crime. A few weeks back, you had mentioned the Hawkeye miniseries. Oh, yeah. yeah my life is a weapon. It's great. Yeah, I went through and read those. There is a hero who doesn't have any superpowers. <laughs> who Every time you see him get hurt, he's going through the you know emergency room. He's patching himself up. He's linking. He has himself a lot up. of bandages. Oh, I just I was feeling every single hit. It's like, yeah. oh. Yeah, I would recommend My Life as a Weapon if you want to look at... If, you, if you're if you not a Hawkeye fan, but you want to see him in a new light, uh, My Life as a Weapon is great. The funny thing is, is you still come out there going, wow, Hawkeye's a jerk, but I like him. Yeah, yeah, he's... Uh, yeah, he's yeah. like Jack. He's a lovable curmudgeon. You didn't get to do the Jack voice this I, I'm super sad by that. I need to write that in more often. I just... Okay, Mass Master demands more screen time. Okay, curmudgeon. <laughs> in my day... Hey, hey, back off, curmudgeon. I'm whipping out my library card and bonking you on the head. (laughs) But amazingly, there is actually no real big literary references here. To be fair, the house was destroyed. They were packing everything up, so no time for reading, Dr. Jones. There's some boxes that say, like, fragile and this end up, but that's about it. Which Alex throws. Yeah, yeah, he just dumps into the box. I also love Yeah, there is a great thing, too, on that picture where it says, this end up, and it's on the side. So that, that, that is about the most reading that happens. That and, that and the reading on the mutant detector, which uh, says they're not mutants. Beep. Hey, Mr. Space Cowboy, can you science explain some stuff to me today? I can try if you stop that song. <laughs> What's your questions, buddy? The costumes. 
What do you think? Uh, they're great. They're filled with unstable molecules. Costume on. Costume off. They're great. Uh, <laughs> I they're can't. Space science. They're space science. <laughs> they're comic book hand wavy uh, jiggly do. There's nothing that I can say about them. It's not like I can go. Oh well, you know, it's like oh here's here's what I can reference it to. You know how a mu- uh, not a musician, a magician can change their outfits by waving their arms yeah it's like that it just does it's magic i got an interesting question for you and i've actually got the answer for you okay yeah mutant detector mm-hmm. tell me how that works <sighs> okay you know those uh, cancer sniffing dogs nope okay uh you know uh the only thing i can think of is dogs smelling stuff i don't know it's terrible uh you ready for this yeah please tell me because my science on this one is just like it detects genetics and there you go it was invented by Forge based on ROM's, ROM Space Night technology. Seriously? Yep. Oh, wh- really, really? <laughs> really, really? Like canon? Yeah. And not head canon, but real canon? Yeah. Oh. Oh, wow. <laughs> How often do you get to tie anything into ROM? I know Transformers is doing a run a with lot. Space Night, but really? Yeah. All right. Neat. Now, I, of course, I said that, and I'm about 90% sure. I know Forge is definitely part of it. I'm pretty sure that ROM Space Knight's in there as well. Okay. Because I think that all comes out of the Uncanny X-Men run where they were doing, where um, Forge accidentally shot Storm with his uh, ray gun and took away Storm's powers. Oh, okay. But he was at the same time building mutant detectors for the government. Ooh, By the way, if you really want to know more about that, I highly, highly recommend J.M. Miles Explain the X-Men, because that is your one-stop shopping for all your X-Men needs. And that's a podcast. Okay, we've got another little bit of uh, science to cover right now, which I'm going to call Julie's Reading Rainbow. Okay. Okay, because previously you had asked the question of, how long does Julie's Rainbow last? Alrighty. And we came up with a variety of answers on that. So, uh... They, t- they actually reference, Carmody references Julie's Rainbow, where he hands, you know, hands a mutant detector to Link and says, follow that rainbow. Uh, let me, follow that rainbow. There you go. There's Carmody. I get to do Carmody. You get to do Carmody. As long as I get to do Jack forever. Deal. Okay. Uh, but yeah, so he actually says, follow that rainbow. And that means that there is some persistence of vision. Sure. On the... The rainbows. And so that could just be, like I said, persistence of vision, as uh, TJ had mentioned. Or uh, the rainbow lasts for a while. They still don't tell us how long it lasts. But it does show that you can go, it's not just a, and it's gone. It's a, hey, I can see that. So maybe it lasts the 4 minute 13 seconds, as I referenced before. Yeah. Maybe, yeah, I still stick with it lasts a panel. No, I, I, I like the last a panel kind of thing. Yeah. I'm just glad that Julie's parents didn't come out the panel where she, like, shoots out into the truck. Yeah. For that, they, it was, they mentioned, nobody's going to see us in this really heavy rain, because have you ever looked outside when it's raining and never been able to see anything? Okay, unless you're in Florida. <laughs> I was going to say, we live in Portland. We see all the time when yeah. it's raining. Yeah, exactly. It's just like, ah, it's a downpour. I guess I better put on my not umbrella or raincoat and just go outside anyway. Speaking of reading Rainbow, I think we should go ahead and talk to LeVar Burton mm-hmm. and have him call up Jordy LaFord so he mm-hmm. can transport us to Final Thought Planet. We <laughs> 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 just didn't even see that one coming. I did not see like that one coming. Turned the corner and slapped you right upside no, the head. No, right yeah, that's uh, <laughs> Next stop, your face. <laughs> what happened? <laughs> Jeff, mm-hmm. refrigerator gallery. 
Oh, I actually had two for this one. Well, hang on. Yeah. What piece of art in the book needs to be on the family's new refrigerator in New York City? Ah, good point. Okay. Oh, boy. I, I had two. Okay. And uh, I'll give you my number one. Oh, and, let's start with number two. Oh, you want number two? Yeah. Okay. On page 13. <laughs> I uh, think we might have the same one. Yeah, I'm going to call this uh, Carmody Get Your Gun. You like that? Okay, good. Carmody, it, it, get, I, I think that's better than what I had because I really cho- really realized that um, I shouldn't have said what I what I actually written. So yeah. Okay. Carmody, get your gun. Nope, that's my that was one of my backups as okay, well. Okay, that's a backup. Okay, perfect. So both of us agree on this. It is just a uh, in the driving rain, uh, pist- left handed holder on his pistol, tie un- undone, uh, jowls a flapping, and he's just saying, "I'm going to lookout point." And I'm tired of those bleeding hearts, not wanting to kill children. So I'm gonna go there and I'm gonna kill me some kids. And it is just, it's just, it's just great. It looks, it's very noir. Yes, but I... with but with terrible dialogue because he's just saying that he wants to go kill children because, it, you know, it's like it's, a, it's like it's Carmody a, always says, it's children a are the problem of our future. <laughs> it is a beautiful picture of just a horrible, horrible image. I, yep. I'm right there with you. Yep, yep, yep. Speaking of horrible images. I'm going to talk about Way Too Close, which is on page 16. It's another backup one I had. And this is page 16. Oh, yeah. And it's a series of panels that are going down here. But this is where we've got Carmody shooting this gun twice at the kids. You have the first blam, and you see the bullet shoot out of the gun. The next panel, you see the bullet go right across Katie's eyes. It goes right in front of her eyes, all by the second blam. I mean, the look of terror on her face is fantastic. I love that shot. You know, you said that you weren't really happy with this artist's work, Mm -hmm. or you noticed the difference, but those two pictures in particular, the the evil Carmody, and, and that that shot of pure fear as that bullet goes across Katie's eyes nails it. Yeah. Oh, I'm not saying uh, I'm not saying that the art's bad. I'm just saying that it was different than what sure, I'm used sure. to, Fair and enough. therefore I don't like change. What is your number one? Okay, well, uh, since you said nailed it, let's talk about my number one, which is on page 18. And I'm oh gonna... yes, we yep. have the same number one. <laughs> yeah, and uh, I'm gonna steal the name that you called it previously, which is Power Fist, which, in my opinion, would be a great name for a superhero. And it also sounds like Luke Cage and Danny Rand uh, have, have a, a have, have, a, kid. have a love child. Yeah, had a kid because you know Power Fist, the other child that they have, is the lesser known Iron Man. It, it's it's. Jim Power, he's actually got a really good punching stance too. There, <laughs> missing that. He's going he, from the hips. He's he got his legs. Just good, yeah. going from the hips. Uh, just he's got his leg. Yeah. Power punch going across. We got a crack, and we got Carmody flipping over backwards. So no, I mean that is just a fantastic punch i actually call this dad justice oh dad justice that's dad great justice. <laughs> okay i really liked your power fist yeah, so I'm gonna, okay. and, and it is because he's a power he's a power yeah rubber and glue moment what was the best or most childish insult oh, okay um st- sadly enough it isn't one of the kids that i'm going to be quoting here really yeah Good. it is on page 12 it is Carmody. No, it's not Carmody. It's uh, Falcone talking about Carmody. Falcone, he's talking to the power parents. Uh, they're rushing out of the McBurger restaurant. Mm-hmm. And he says, you know, the powers are like, don't try and stop us. We're going after our kids. And, and Falcone's all, stop you? Why would I stop you? Our orders were to ask you questions politely. Not help that maniac Carmody hound children through the driving rain. <laughs> and I just love that. Maniac. <laughs> so, nice. That maniac Carmody. My backup one was all the way on page 22, and it is Jack to Julie when he calls her a nerd. 
Because <laughs> it's just nice to get a good nerd reference out of there. Where is that at? Oh, where is that at? Oh, you nerd, what are you doing using your public and power? Your public and power. <laughs> yeah, right there. Yep. You nerd. No, Sorry. wait, that's me. That's, that's you. me. You nerd, what are you doing using your power in public? There you go. You got a chance to use the car. I didn't get to do it. Why didn't I think ahead? And I only pick. I should only. Okay, from here on out, I only pick Jack things. It's like, what's the best piece of art? Well, when Jack said, "You are," what's the piece? Of my art? favorite though. My favorite still is uh, page one, and it's Alex. And Alex says, "Stop being a dope, Julie." <laughs> <laughs> I like that one. It's like just right in the first panel, almost. It's like, yeah. oh, there stop it is, being yeah. a dope, Julie. I thought that was pretty good. Yeah. All right. Stars in detention. Identify the child who was the best and worst in the issue. Let's start with the worst because I have a feeling we know what the best one was. Really? That's my guess. Okay. What's uh, the worst? My worst is Julie. I was wrong. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's what you get for assumption. You know what? You know what you get when you assume things. Yeah, I run a podcast. Yeah. You, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You get wrong. <laughs> Why do you think it was Julie? Uh, Julie lived this episode, or well, this issue in fear. She was worried, you know, she was worried about change. She was worried about her parents thinking she was a monster. She was, she worried about a lot of stuff. She wanted to uh, stifle what the other kids wanted. She was like, no, we can't tell. No, we might be monsters. No, Friday, get out of here. So she was very, she was my worst kid just in the regards that she was so scared. She lived in hmm. fear. All right. I'm going to go ahead and just say that she was my best. I'll say she was my best. I thought that she had a real character arc here. Oh, we're not talking about best. Who's your I, worst? Okay. Yeah, you said worst fine, first. Fine. So. Um, I'm saying Jack. What? What? He doesn't do anything in this issue. He totally, um, he helped tie a box. Yeah, he did nothing in this issue. He did nothing. He clouded up the kids on the on the on the cliff, which yeah, is which they, what he does. Yeah, they didn't need. To. At least Alex had a counterpoint for Julie's arguments, mm-hmm. um, and he saves his dad. Mm-hmm. Katie fires off a shot at Carmody. Mm-hmm. Jack should have done a jackhammer on us, dude. Yeah, Jack should have been able to take this guy out when he was shooting. First of all, he is a cloud form. Yeah. And then he can go small and knock the gun out of this guy's hand. It was just bad. He's like, he did nothing. Yeah, there's that. So, I mean, it, I, I guess I could have picked out somebody who did something wrong, but it's just like, there was nothing he did. Yeah. So, that was my issue with Okay. No, Jack is a Jack is the worst worst kid, uh, the detention kid. Great choice. That's I my still, choice. I still stand by Julie no, as a detention kid. That's right. so, yeah. uh, I'm going to say that Julie was the best kid because she had a real character arc here. We see her conflicted with a lot in this issue. Should they tell the parents? Should they not? Why are things changing? Why can't things stay the same? This definitely is Julie's issue, and I think that she really stands tall on this issue. And one of, another nice picture that I have in there is when she does turn into her her costume. She says, costumes on, please. And she's standing there. And there's something about how she's just standing there like an adult. I mm-hmm. mean, she's just, she's not an adult, but she's standing there like a, a girl standing against the elements. Okay. I, it's kind of cool. It's on page 21. And I, it wasn't one of my best pictures, but it, it kind of represents what I think of her in this issue. She's going through a lot. She's working through a lot. I like seeing character arcs. I like seeing characters grow. Okay. And I think she did. And that's why I think she's the best. All right. Who do you think was the best? Oh, uh, Julie. why would you even ask rick of course the best kid in this was julie she overcame her fear she fought carmody she wrestled his gun out well not out of his hands but you know she she fought carmody she said helped save people she yeah hang on she apologized to uh friday she tied she tied everybody together let me why would it be anybody but julie let me let me ask this question again yeah 
Uh, which kid are you sending to detention? Oh my god, Julie, it's obvious. Uh, who are you giving a star to this series? Why would you even ask? Like I said, Julie. She was great. I, maybe I wasn't clear on the rules of this game. <laughs> rules. Where we're going, we there are no, no rules. rules. Uh, I hate you. <laughs> <laughs> Just... Tell me, tell me about the G-forces. I, I want you just to count the number of Gs Alex <laughs> dropped during this comic and determine what the scientific equivalent would be. <laughs> you're, just, you're like, I'm going to just go sit here and drink Just now. jackhammer my head into oblivion, please. I'm tired of you and your shenanigans. I get that. Okay, <laughs> so let's hit G-force. How many Gs did Alex drop? Or how many did he pull? <clears throat> so, Alex pulled two Gs. And that makes sense because that's two times the Earth's gravity. Two. Two. And... How that makes sense is due to the fact that they've now been to Earth twice. We've <laughs> only ever been to Earth once, so they have, of course, experienced two Gs of gravity. Nicely done. Thank you. The uh, G average is a three, and as we said before, that's the space shuttle. You know, that's the G force that the astronauts experience on a space shuttle during launch and reentry. So, okay, that's, that's cool. And the total G force that we have in this is 15 and that's more than twice what the uh, apollo 16 experienced on re-entry so they would have blacked out a lot oh yeah here's okay when here's, do you when do you black out here is the giant problem i've been having in uh discovering g-force is it's like you know i'm like how many g's kill you and there's like a race car guy that experienced several hundred g's of you know of force during a crash and he was fine he just walked away from it so it's like if you can experience high g's for short periods of time and you're okay but like extended high g's is bad people can you know start blacking out what, what is it i think fighter pilots wear special pressure suits and have some breathing techniques and everything and i think it is around like six or seven g's people start blacking out it's hard to get a definitive answer right. because it kind of like, well, it depends. It depends on where you're expecting it. Are you trained for it? Do you have the equipment and gear for it? So uh, during, th I think, 3Gs of, you know, I'm not even going to say it because I, I can't remember. I'm sure. even listening to uh, Scott Kelly's book, Endurance, right now, where he talks about launching off in space shuttle and what it feels like. And I was like, I need to remember that for the podcast. How'd that work for you? I need to remember that for the podcast. So Okay. Mm -hmm. Fair enough. Let's go ahead and move this on down to the top grades. Yep. What do you think about this issue against the rest of the series? Right now we are at 4312. Yes. Ah, you know, I liked the snark run. So, you know, I liked yeah. I liked and this, and this is a postscript to the snark yeah, run. Yeah, and it's a postscript. So it, it's it's a transition episode. Yes. Or issue. And so it it's really hard for me. Because it's good. But it's to get you somewhere else. I know you really like it, and I'm I don't know where to put it. Is the problem? All right. Well, let's do this. Yeah. Um, right now, we think that the worst episode was number two. Yeah, but I still enjoyed two. I got a lot of fun out of sure. that. Sure. Yeah. Would you read this one again over two? Oh boy. I would go ahead and say that I think that this has got some better beats and better moments. Mm -hmm. You know, it's kind of funny too because number two issues deals with Carmody as well. Yeah. But I think that this is a better representation of Carmody. Okay. He's very one-dimensional that one. He's just like, I'm a big fat slob jerk. 
This one, you see his reasoning for it, and mm-hmm. you see how evil he is. Mm-hmm. There's just there's more of really what makes him Power Pack's number one villain. Okay. Um, at the same time, too, we we have some transition, we have some character development. In the second one, they were like, "Hey, we're going over here, they and we're, we're going to steal something, and we're going to do it badly." They were taking care of a plot point. Yeah. Is all that they were doing in two. So this uh, this was doing a lot more. I yeah. think that this has got more power and oomph than number two. Yeah. I like this a lot, but I think that I could be persuaded that it's not as good as the first issue of the series. Okay. Well, then in that case, I would say it would be um, above two, below... Above two, below one. Th- something like that. I'm sure. What is it? Three, three, one, two. Yeah, okay. Four, Four three, three, one, one five, five, two. two. I forgot how many issues we've and covered And if you so are confused by this, don't you worry none, because I will be updating this on our website, jeffandrickpresent.wordpress.com. Please go there and check out our rankings, because I put everything on there, including our beer and all that fun yeah. stuff. Yeah, he puts everything up. It's great. Uh, also, look up our uh, bios, because you'll get to see a really nice photo of me and Rick spinning sparks at the beach. Yes, this yeah. is true. That was awesome. I'm the one in front. Rick's the one behind. You'll, you'll figure it out on your own. Yeah. I'm the ugly one. He's the one with the beard. Figure it out. Um, (laughs) (laughs) That's not saying I'm attractive. That's just saying that I have a beard. (laughs) You've uncovered my clever plot. (laughs) (laughs) I've been trying to figure a way to get that in there. Very good. Very good. (laughs) That brings us to the final thought on this beer. The Double Rainbow by Aaron Horsebury. Give it a sniff. I still can't name name the the aroma. I like this better than the rescue emotional rescue we just had okay yeah uh it also still has an equally interesting um cover on the can oh yeah yeah so yeah uh well let's see what did i give the other one i i could put it about for me uh, let's see you gave it a t- the other one a two and i gave it a three something like that yeah i'd still stick this one around a three for me i'm gonna say this is a 3.5 for me i i i like it i'm i am not a big ipa fan it is a red ipa which adds something to it anytime you push malt in an ipa i'm a happy happy camper it has a good sweet taste for me i don't feel like i'm chewing on on tinfoil when i drink it once again that is double rainbow by iron horse brewery another fine fine purchase i made from john's marketplace in tigard oregon very nice I would like to go ahead and kick this over the kid's perspective where we ask questions or a premise of the book to my seven-year-old daughter and get her opinions. So, Rick and Carrie, would you please tell us what you think? Hi, Carrie. Hi, Daddy. How are you? Good. Tell me what you think of uh, this issue of Power Pack. It was awesome. It was awesome? Why do you think it was awesome? What I like was when they unwrapped their parents. Why did you like that? Then that's when their parents woke up. And also when, I think, who was it? Jack or Alex? I can't remember who saved their dad. The, you know, their dad from falling. Oh, oh. Wait, it was Alex. Yes, that was Alex. Alex saved their dad, right? Mm-hmm. You like that too? Mm-hmm. Yeah? Even though Alex is not your favorite person. <laughs> that is true. Was there any scary parts in the issue? It, it almost made me scared. When um when I saw that um Carmody was shooting, you know was shooting. Yeah. And that scared you. Yeah, because I don't like guns. Okay, fair enough. I never want to touch one. Let me ask you this question: What did you think about Julie and her feelings and talking to her mom at the end? What do you think that was about? It was about her change and stuff changing. Mm-hmm. It's about changing. 
Do you think she's excited or nervous about changing? Nervous. Why do you think she's like that? Because she does not like changing. And she thinks that her, no one would like her if she changed. Do you think that's true? I think so, because that's when her mom said um, that she'll never, even if Julie changes, she'll she'll still love her. Okay, so, you, so what you meant to say was that you, you don't think that's true, that even if somebody changes, that mm -hmm. people will still love them, right? Mm -hmm. That's right, that's right. So Julie shouldn't be scared about changing, right? Mm -mm. Are you scared about changing? No. <laughs> Do you think this, some of this is about growing up? A little. A little bit? Oh, and also? Yeah? At the end of the comic book, you people, it's... Drum roll, please. <laughs> They're moving to New York. Is that exciting? Yes. Do you want to move to New York? Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have anything else you'd like to add? Okay. I love you, Carrie. Love you, too. Thank you. You're welcome. So, I'd like to do a couple of shout-outs to some people who have said hi to us on our different social media accounts to let us know that they're out there and we're doing a pretty good job. Thank you very much to Anthony all the way from the UK who left us a message on our webpage. He wanted to let us know that somewhere in a future letter page, the creators point out that Julie does not actually travel at the speed of light. He also really regrets the fact that he knows that piece of information and he can remember that, but he can't remember his anniversary. We hear you, brother. We hear, we hear you. you. And I'd like to say thank you to Michael N. for your kind words about our podcast. We're happy that you think we are top-notch. Yes! And thanks to Link, you are the hero of Hyrule. Finally, peace returns to Hyrule. This ends his story. I, I, just, I just... I just hate you so much right now. <laughs> Jeff and Rick Present is recorded in front of a live studio audience in Portland, Oregon. If you would like to interact with us through the magic of the internet... You can do so through Twitter at Jeff Rick Present, our Facebook page, Jeff and Rick Present, our email address, Jeff and Rick Present, all one word, at gmail.com, or at our website, Jeff and Rick Present.wordpress.com. And as always, we want to thank the wonderful women in our life. To my wife, Cindy, and our daughter, Carrie. To my fiance, Hillary, and our daughter, Aurora. We, we love, love you. you. Until next week, costumes off! Our theme music is 80s action. Also featured in this episode are Call to Adventure and Overworld. All music is by Kevin McLeod at Decompetech.com and is licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0 license. I don't want to do a podcast anymore. No. <laughs> it's hard. i got to say words. The words are hard. <laughs> Go away, words. Me not like you anymore. Yeah. What have words ever done anything good for me? Um... Don't use words to tell me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh my god, that's how I talk most of the time. Hey, it only took their Hey, it only took their house getting destroyed for them to realize what they've been missing. Hey, it only It only took their house getting destroyed for them to realize what they have been missing in their lives. Tuba solo. <laughs> <laughs> Hey! <laughs>